Hey there, Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and thanks once again for joining us. Our guest today is Joe Robinson, an Australian musician and vocalist who, despite being self-taught, possesses an incredible virtuoso guitar ability that outpaces some of the world's best guitar players. Joe started playing guitar in 2001 at the age of 10. By age of 11, he started touring his native Australia and by age 13 had won the Australian National Songwriting Competition. He recorded his debut album at 15 and by age 17 had won Australia's Got Talent. By 2013, Joe was playing Madison Square Gardens in New York City at the Eric Clapton Crossroads Guitar Festival and later went on as the opening act for Kenny Rogers. A year later, Joe was awarded the Senior Grand National Performer of the World at the World Championships of Performing Arts in Los Angeles. And today, Joe joins us from his home in Nashville for an intimate look at his career and to bring us up to speed on what he's working on next. So sit back, relax, and get ready as Social Energy Now presents you with your Backstage Pass. I'm actually, today I was actually nervous that you were on the show because I've, I've been watching you now for months. There's not a day that goes by that I don't see you coming up on, on my Facebook or something. And I'm just blown away by what you'd put forth. It's incredible. Yesterday, uh, the, the video came up for Isn't She Lovely? Mm-hmm. So you put up Isn't She Lovely? Now, the wonderful thing about that is you open it up on your acoustic, your beautiful acoustic playing, and then you switch to its, I guess it's a George Benson model Ibanez. Yep. And and you play like beautiful, like Joe Pass kind of stylings. And then from there you go to, what is it, a Tennessee in the Gretsch? It's a, it's a country club. Yeah. Con- uh, and so when you switch to that guitar, you're using your Bigsby and you start doing it more like in a country style. Then you switch over and, and with your music man, it's a solid body guitar and you start playing it bluesy. And it seems like every genre you nail. And I, 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 I've never seen anything like this. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm like a gushing fan. I can't get over what you've been able to accomplish in such a relatively short amount of time. Mick's having a bromance right now. Uh, absolutely. Just, you know. <laughs> it, it really means a lot, Mick. And this uh, you know, past year has been really incredible for me, just having more time to, to post more videos and work up new arrangements of songs. And you know, it's a fun challenge t- taking a, a classic song like Isn't She Lovely, which has a great chord progression, a great melody, and, you know, a lot of people have done really beautiful versions of it. And, uh, you know, when I sit down to record a, a video like for YouTube and Facebook like that, oftentimes I have a bit of an idea of what I'm going to do, but I just kind of go, go where the arrangement takes me. And, and that, that, that was a fun one because I thought, oh, I could play a little bit on the, on the George Benson guitar and then I can, I can switch it up and, and play, play a chorus on each guitar. And, you know, it's, it's fun just trying to bring out the, the, the best elements of, of each instrument. And uh, it's, that's the, th- the thing about, you know, when you get, when you put an instrument in your hands, it inspires you to, to make different sounds and definitely the Gretsch sound, you know, takes me back to Chet. And when I play an arch topper, it reminds me of all the great jazz guitarists and, and, you know, I, I grew up playing blues and rock and roll. So um, there's d- definitely all those influences. Um, uh, yeah, uh, styles that I love I love playing. What's your favorite style there, uh, Joe? What do you enjoy playing the most? Well, it, it really changes. Um, you know, I, I love just playing great songs with a great groove. And that can be, you know, 
I love playing rock and roll and I love playing jazz and I love playing, you know, really great country music in Nashville. I Sometimes I get to play with really great country artists. Um, and I love playing, you know, fingerstyle, solo acoustic. I've been listening to a lot of classical music lately, which is something I've never really been that interested in. But for some reason late, lately, I've been uh, really just listening to all the incredible melodies. So, um, yeah, I, I like all kinds of kinds of genres and any, anything with a, with a great melody and a great uh, groove and chord sequence has me. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that that's the thing that's really wonderful is the fact that you're taking songs from the 20s and 30s, and like you say, if it's if if I there's a thing, a good song is a good song is a good song is a good song, you know, no matter what. And that's, that's another thing we have to talk about as well, because you're a really gifted songwriter and singer as well. Like guitar is just like, of course your guitar playing is just like so out there and beautiful and perfect to me. Um, and probably to anybody who's a fan, but there's also so much more about you. Um, there, there was a thing that you had posted and I'd like to touch on that a bit. You had, basically posted one day where you said talent is BS. And I, I want you to go on about that because it's really, you have a humbleness about you that's, <laughs> which is beautiful actually, but can you, can you sort of explain that for our listeners? Sure. There's a book by Jeff Colvin called talent is overrated. And, you know, I've read that book a few times now and it's, it's, it's really great. It kind of, you know, details like Mozart, his father was a, was a, a violin technique expert. And, you know, we, we kind of think of people who are talented and, and gifted as being born with, with these unique abilities. And, um, you know, the thing that really frustrates me is when people think that they don't have talent and so they give up. And, uh, I wanted to just tell my story a little bit in this video and I wasn't sure how people were, were, were going to take it. Um, I really wanted to um, be honest about my experience and my, and my feelings. And so I, I spoke about, you know, getting up at 4am every day to practice and uh, you know, just being so determined to figure out how to, how to play the instrument like I wanted to play it and studying all the best people I could and having really great mentors and encouraging people. And I, I came up with this idea of uh, focus, flair, and feedback, which, you know, there's, it, there's many ways to, to describe what it takes to get good at something. But I, I thought that was a, a way of putting it that resonated with my experience. So focus is about doing less. <laughs> You know, I've just always been one track mind with music and that, that was a deliberate decision, you know, when, when I was a teenager, because I just knew that this was my ticket out of my small little town. And, and I knew I, I could just see how the fingerboard could open up and what I could do with it. And it wasn't easy. You know, so many of the different techniques that I was trying to figure out, you know, just really were frustrating and, and, Took, took a while for me to, to get my, my hands around, but um, the, the, the second element is flair and that's F L A I R meaning just a little bit of a spark of joy you get from something. And so, some people would say that's semantics. You're just talking about a natural talent. Well, you know, I, I, I think if that's the case, then everybody has talents 
And because everybody has something that they have a flair for and whether it's a flair for storytelling or whether it's a, a flair for, you know, being interested in gardening or whatever. I mean, everyone has little interests and then feedback is being around positive influences. And so that, that can be, you know, in my bedroom, when I was a teenager, I had a library of instructional VHS tapes and DVDs. And so the focus flare feedback idea was just my way of explaining how I learned to play. And that when people say, Oh, he's just talented. I think, you know, don't sell yourself short because and anyone um, can can be great, and you know we're, we're not all seven foot tall basketball players. Um, there are certain physical limitations that, that we have to work within, but for for the most part, I meet so many musical people in just in life. You can just tell someone has so much musicality, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of explain what my experience was developing. My, my my technique on on the guitar it could be it could be argued in a way that your focus devotion to your craft etc is an innate born with drive that other people wouldn't have um and and I, this is a two parts thing the second thing is you talk about focusing just on playing guitar and making that your vehicle to get out. I'm sorry, what was the, what's the name? How do you pronounce your, your town? Temagog. It is Temagog. Oh, so it's just as a spell. And so, and it's a small town, I heard, very small. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but that was your vehicle to, to, to get out of there. And you saw that, like, probably from the first time you picked up your guitar, which is around 10, 10 years old or something, I hear. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, to focus is a choice. It's a choice anyone can make. And there's a lot of circumstantial factors that, that come into play. You know, I grew up in the bush where there was nothing to do. We had, we had a TV, had two channels, and they were both fuzzy. And you know, we weren't allowed to watch TV during the week. And it was like we got hot water in 2001. You know, it was out in the bush. Wow. Very, very much like you know, rustic homestead type way of growing up, you know, and it, it was great. We lived off the land. We, we'd, you know, put put a cow or a sheep in the freezer and we'd eat off that for a number of months. Like it was really, um, it was really a, a, a great way to grow up, but I grew up just really wanting to do something with myself and to get out and see the world. And uh, I think the conditioning of that childhood you know, really played into me just having this one track mind of, okay, music for, for a while it was sports, but I just didn't really, uh, I just didn't really enjoy sports like I enjoyed music. What, what would bring you to be raised in such a remote environment? What was it your parent, like your parents are still together? Yeah. And, and so what brought them there to raise their family? Well, the story was um, my my parents met in high school and my mom went to a, like a bunch of different high schools and moved around a lot, but she met my dad at one of them and they became, you know, close and dated as teenagers and then um, went their separate ways. And, you know, a few years later, my dad was running a banana farm in Coffs Harbour, New South Wales, Australia. And his life was basically lived in this hut with no electricity 
and he grew bananas and he surfed every day. <laughs> that was his life. And he lived on bananas and fish. And my mom, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. My, my mom, uh, she, you know, went, went to work as like a Jillaroo, which is like a, a cowgirl, um, you know, work, working on a ranch. And she, she kind of was in, in the veterinary world, working as a vet, veterinary nurse. And um, she called my dad one day and said, oh, I'm, in a, I'm in a bad spot. I don't exactly know what was going on, but she said, can, can you help me? And so my dad said, oh, sure. And he went and picked her up and, and they had a horse carriage, like a horse float full of all my mom's animals. I think there was a horse in there and dogs and all kinds of animals and she drove up to the banana farm. And then they, um, you know, stayed together and uh, got married and uh, bought our block of land that I grew up on, which was about a hundred acres. And uh, yeah. And, and dad, you know, is a very resourceful, handy person and just built, built our house by hand, basically with a, with a few help of a few friends but it was just like later concrete slab. They, they lived in a tent for a while while they built the house and I was born and then my brother was born and then my other brother was born and then my sister was born and we just grew up, you know, living off the land. It, it's it's kind of like there's a lot of, you know, kind of hippie-ish people up there and my parents weren't kind of, you know, flower power hippies, but um, my dad really believed in, you know, cultivating the land. We had fruit trees all around the property and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people in Australia li- live that kind of a lifestyle out in the bush. But, uh, yeah, pe- people in the cities definitely looked at us like, you know, do you make much money? And we, we didn't have much money at all. But that, that wasn't, you know, my parents' priority. And it was definitely unusual, but there's, there's a lot about it that I'm, I'm really grateful for. My, my brothers and sisters and I all have really great, you know, work ethics and doing interesting things and, Great, great character. So. Were your parents musical? Yeah. And and my, so, okay, so your your mother and father played instruments as well? Yeah. Yeah, my dad played some guitar and some banjo, and my mom played drums in a few bands. So, you know, every other weekend there'd be a band at our house rehearsing. So I grew up around around a lot of music. And um, my mom is, is a very, very musical person. She plays, you know, a, a ukulele so. and mandolin and... Yeah, what no. about what about your siblings? My siblings all play a little bit of music too. Um, and you know, when I was growing up, I had bands of kids kids my age that we would get together and play like the local, um, you know, any fundraisers for the local soccer club or the karate grading or the rugby club. You know, we'd always be the band that would you know play. And uh, my brother and sister kind of saw I was making some money doing that and they thought, hey, I can, I can start a band. And so my brother and sister, you know, played in a, a few different bands growing up, but uh, yeah, they all play. And my, my brother Simon is in engineering school studying mechatronic engineering. So kind of electrical engineering mixed with mechanical. And my sister is a, um, you know, she's a personal trainer and studying business and she's just a firecracker. She's 20 and she's managing gyms in Brisbane, Australia. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. At 11 years old, you were, you started touring with like Tommy Emmanuel. Like how, how did, how does that come to happen at such a young age? And you only started playing guitar a year before. I was, I was closer to 12. <laughs> so it was probably 11 and a half. I'd been playing, you know, a year and a half, something like that. And basically um, I met Phil Emmanuel, 
who's Tommy's older brother. Right. And I met Phil and Tommy both at a music festival called, called the Tamworth Country Music Festival. And uh, I met Tommy and shook his hand and, and, uh, and he was very nice. And he said, you got big, big hands for a, you know, a young, young kid. You're, that's perfect for playing the guitar. And Phil um, was so generous and so kind. And up until meeting those those guys, I was just playing in my little town. And, you know, when you're just the kid in your little town playing guitar a lot, no one thinks you're good because no one really knows. Of course. And, and Phil said to me, he said, Joe, you, you're one of the best guitarists I've seen for your age. He said, most kids your age are listening to some Limp Biscuit crap. He said, here you are playing Jerry Reed and Eric Johnson songs. He said, <laughs> he said, you're just, you're just doing great. He said, if you want to get up on stage with me tonight and play, play a little bit, you know, we, we can do that what song do you want to play? And I told him, Oh, I think we played Santana Europa or something. And, um, and uh, Phil really took me under his wing and, uh, and I was asked to be on a tour with him shortly after, which was kind of like a, a, a blues review where I would be featured as the, you know, 12 year old uh, guitar slinging kid and Phil would get up and we'd play together. And then there'd be an R and B type band with horns and everything. It was really fun. I but, yeah, I was just hooked on the idea of performing, you know, from, from the first time I got to do it. So, um, yeah, I first started and I learned folk chords and, you know, learned songs from like the Eric Clapton Unplugged songbook was toward the end of my experience with my guitar teacher who's named Jeff Wallage. And, uh, and from there, I had a few of my parents' friends who played, you know, in the style of Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed and, and you know, people would turn me on to that style of music. And then some other friends would turn me on to Steve Morse and Joe Satriani and Aldi Miola and Eric Johnson. And I just became exposed to all these great players and music just through my parents, musician friends. It's incredible. Well, it, another thing that's interesting, um, I read somewhere that you started playing piano at six because they thought your hands were too small to play guitar. So obviously your fingers grew a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, you know, I was kind of expected to learn a musical instrument in the house. And uh, my mom would get us up in the morning and say, all right, 30 minutes of piano practice, Joe, you go first. And so I'd be there on the piano doing my scales and I hated it. <laughs> I just was not into it. And I took some piano lessons and this is at age six, you know, and um, I got to a point where I was like, mom, can I please play the guitar? I want to play the guitar. You know, I just, can't stand sitting at this piano every day to practice. I want to take my guitar around with me. And she said, okay, you can play the guitar, but if you, but if we let you play the guitar, you better practice. Otherwise you'll be straight back to the piano. Wow. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, so I always wanted to, w wanted to play the guitar instead of the piano. That's another thing that make of guitar. I'm ashamed to say now you and Tommy Emanuel both play those guitars. Where are they made? They're made in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Cause I've never heard of them before, but they sure seem like a fantastic instrument. Yeah, they're really great. And um, what are they called? Maton, M-A-T-O-N. Maton. In Australia, they are everywhere. They're the ubiquitous guitar in, in Australia, and um, and they become more and more popular through people like Tommy play, playing them. And this is my new signature model, which is really I'm very proud of, and it's a great guitar. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Fantastic. So uh, now I got to, okay, I got to go this. It, it's so hard to sort of pack, uh, unpackage all of this stuff because so much happened to you in a fairly short amount of time, uh, amount of time because at 11, so now you're, you're started to do uh, some touring. 
with Phil, right? Yep. And and then, but what what's this? And then, at, and then you're 13 years old and you won the Australian National Songwriting Championship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine that at my age. You know, yeah. like I. And because uh, now I'm, I'm assuming that if you're competing for the Australian National Songwriting Competition, you're you're competing with all ages. Well, I think this was like the under 18s section. Okay, okay, it was still fair enough. Um, but but that that was a really cool experience. You know, I was um, playing with some friends of mine in a band. We were called the Chaotic Penguins, and. I, I loved writing songs and some, some of the other band members wrote songs too. And, you know, we were all kind of, um, you know, I thought we, we all had the same amount of skills and, and, and I, I felt like I was the most passionate one. I was the, always the one organizing the band practices, but, but we, we, we'd each write songs. And, you know, I, I had this phrase in my song, I knew a man from Temagog River. His whole body worked except for his liver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I, where I come from has a reputation as being kind of, you know, these people who have, you know, three-day parties in a shed where they're all jamming to a band and, you know, drinking a lot. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a fun little song with, with a lot of guitar playing. And, uh, I, and I won that competition and, and my it was kind of through the uh, Department of Education or, or, you know, they were a sponsor. And so the prize was actually, you know, like a thousand dollars worth of equipment for my school. And my teacher, my music teacher was like, Joe, buy yourself an amp and keep it, take it home. <laughs> he said, we don't, uh, we don't need your money. So it was, uh, it was really great. I got a little Fender tube amp and I was off. Oh, that's fantastic. So what, what, what was your first guitar? I, I, I seem to see some, pictures i think you sent them up to me of a, like a strat copy yeah the strat copy i got i got pretty early on uh, my very first guitar was a three-quarter size nylon string guitar and that was the one i played till the fingerboard was wore off it i just played that so much and and i really loved that guitar and fortunately it was stolen and and uh we don't know what happened to it but the uh blue electric guitar i got when i was 11 or 12 it was, it was a very cheap guitar and it just did not sound very good. So my parents, some of my parents' friends, uh, Alan Morgan, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was a great local musician. He, he would lo loan me a guitar. He'd say, here's a, you know, a, a Yamaha SG guitar from the eighties. You can play that for a while. And when you get sick of that, I've got another guitar for you. And so people would loan me gear and, and, uh. and I, was, I was really, I was really lucky in that respect. Well, it sounds like a wonderful community to be raised in. I can see why you're grateful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at 17 years old, you're on um, Australia's Got Talent. Now, how does that come about? Uh, was, how did you hear about it? Was it, t was it TV ads or did somebody suggest that you go on it? Or? Well, what happened was I came to Nashville to meet Tommy Emmanuel when I was 16 or so. And Phil, oh, okay, well, we better backtrack there. How, why, why did that happen? Uh, well, I was playing a lot of fingerstyle guitar, and and I was spending a lot of time with Phil Emanuel playing in his band and touring Australia with him. And he said, "Joe, you need to go to Nashville. You need to go to where the, all the great guitar players are." He said, "I'm going to give you Tommy's number. Call him and find a good time and go over there." So this leads into the Australia's Got Talent situation so and how did you raise the money to go to uh, nashville 
we borrowed the money from my grandparents actually they okay. they said here's ten thousand dollars we really believe in joe and you know pay us back when you can or or don't I, I i actually forget the arrangement but that was really really wonderful that they they supported me like that so my mom and i went over and you know my mom had never left the country and and we came and and we stayed in this really sketchy hotel initially and we had a few names of people to see in nashville beside tommy because we got there a week or so before we were going to meet Tommy. And so uh, we got a couple of names of people and, and they kind of said, oh, okay, you can't stay in that part of town. That's a really dangerous area. Stay in this hotel. And so we've stayed right down by music row, which is okay. where all the publishing studios are. And so I went door knocking on all the buildings on music row <laughs> and said, I'm Joe. I play the guitar. I'm from Australia. Can I play you a song? And about half the time they'd say, sure. And half the time they'd say, sorry, we're busy. And so I met all these people in Nashville and, and I met Tommy and Tommy was wonderful and generous with his time and everything. It was great. So I went back to Australia and Sony music had contacted me and, uh, you know, heard I was the young gun, you know, kid playing a lot around up, up and down the East coast of Australia. And so I, I took Sony, this list of contacts I'd met in Nashville and I mean, there's a Grammy award winning producers and I met the head of uh, Universal in Nashville and the head of Sony and, you know, all kinds of different, you know, big time music people. And they said, wow, they were like, that's really incredible that you managed to, to make all those connections. And they said, you know, we got this TV show that we're looking for people to, you know, to really spice things up a little bit. And we think you'd be just great for it. It's called Australia's Got Talent. Do you want to be on it? And my attitude was, I just come back from Nashville where I saw, you know, Brad Paisley's semi-trailer full of guitars. And I was like, I'm going to play any gig. Someone asked me, I'll play the opening of a manhole cover. Just give me a gig. Tried <laughs> 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 read to go on the Australia's Got Talent show. And I, I went down to Melbourne and filmed, you know, the first episode and got a standing ovation. And it was a amazing energy there. And that translated through the TV and, and people, you know, really connected with my story and, and they gave me a lot of airtime on the show, which is, you know, that's a big part of, uh, you know, the reason that people remembered me. And Sony said, here's the contract, Joe, for the, for the show. And I, and I said, I, I'm not interested in a contract. I can't sign that. I'm going to Nashville. I don't want to be in Australia with, with some, you know, contractual ob- obligations. And I had an attorney who explained to me the contract and I just refused to sign the contract through the semifinal and they said, oh, we'll just, you know, we're not going to twist your arm. We'll see what happens. And, and I just kept refusing to sign it. And I had the, the head of Sony and the head of Fremantle Media call me and say, Joe, I have 15 programs on the air and I need you to sign that contract because, you know, otherwise we're going to have to cut you out. And I said, cut me out. I don't want to be on if, if I have to sign that contract. And so, wow, that's a ballsy move. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I didn't really, you know, realize how big a deal it was being on TV. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, was a, it was an amazing thing that I won. I was able to take the prize money and not have to sign the contract. And then I moved to Nashville about a year later. So that's that, was like, that was like a quarter million uh, Australian dollars, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was incredible. So now 
once again, so I, I want to backtrack just a bit when you talk about focus. Now, the thing about focus is that you're, so you're focusing on your guitar playing, but I know with me, I have to wear many hats. I, now I know how to run my Pro Tools Get Rig. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to edit video. I know how to, you know. So obviously your guitar has led to other things that you have talents for because, I mean, you do a great broadcast like weekly, don't you? And plus you teach people online. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I try and do a, a bit of everything. Um, yeah. The focus I, I, idea, you know, focus to me is about doing less. <laughs> it's, it's about, you know, not trying to, uh, yeah, trying to protect your time in, 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 a, in a way. And, and my, my way of developing my technique has been to wake up really early before anyone else was awake. So as a teenager, I get up at 4am and practice and that's what I, I love to do. And I'm still kind of in that routine a little bit. I've been getting up 530 a little bit later, but uh, I love to get up early in the morning and practice and just be totally focused on, on music. And, uh, and, you know, I've always been interested in technology to, to a degree that it helps me, you know, create music. So, so I run pro tools and, and I, you know, I'm interested in the video side of things a little bit. Someone described it as like a talent stack. Like you have one main thing that you're really good at, and then you can do a little bit of a few things surrounding that, which, which, which helps. So I, I think these days I'm really glad that, that I have uh yeah, that I, I have a studio at home where I'm set up to record and I can broadcast. And uh, that, that was just such a, such a great thing. Once the t- touring stopped with the pandemic. Talent stack is a great way to describe it. That's actually, I'm going to use that. That's good. Now, um, so that's another question. How often do you play guitar? You must have that thing in your hands for hours every day. Yeah, pretty much. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, I, I try to practice deliberately as much as I can, which is, you know, that's the, definitely the most effective way to practice. And that's what I preach, you know, when I'm teaching or doing a workshop, I just say it's all about deliberate practice. And that's what it takes to master an instrument but these days i'm trying to write songs so much so so much of my time is like last night i went to bed and i have a guitar beside the bed and i just sat there and i had I had a new song and i just sit, spent you know 45 minutes working on a new song and and then this morning i got up and and i'm, I'm working on an arrangement for a video i'm going to make next week so i'm just always you know it's kind of like a craftsman mindset where i'm just always you know whittling away at, at a song or an arrangement and uh, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. I also saw another thing that you posted one time that I felt was a real Renaissance thing relating to almost a Sammy Kahn as the great lyricist of the 40s um, back then or 50s, uh, where you were talking about lyrics and not just settling, like and trying to get true rhymes yeah. as much as you can. Things that were like, instead of just, you know, rhyming blue with, moon is not correct blue has to rhyme with something that's ooh you know i've i've said this before and i'll say it again every great thing that's happened to me in my musical journey has been because of a mentor and my you know i've really learned so much about songwriting my whole view of how songs are written has changed from spending time with rodney crowell so rodney crowell is you know, they call him the godfather of Americana music. He's just a legendary songwriter here, here in Nashville. And, and um, he's just one of the best, no, no doubt. And uh, 
I've I've learned so much about writing lyrics from from working with him, and he very much comes from the school of Dylan and Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen, Guy Clark, Towns Van Zandt, where, you know, they don't tolerate soft rhymes, hard rhymes. You know, the 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 game of writing with 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 the real craftsmen songwriters like this is, they can rewrite a line twenty times before you can blink in order to get the rhyme. To, to, to be to be hard and a hard rhyme just has it's it satisfies in such a in such a, a on such a deeper level than than something that 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 uh, that is a soft rhyme and so Rodney Rodney would say good writing is rewriting and he only keeps ten percent of the songs he writes and so you know I've I've learned all those things from from Rodney. I um I have a Rodney Crowell story I can share with you. It's it's, kind of, it's actually very close to home here. Um, he had a, a Gibson guitar. It, it was not a J forty five, but it's an old guitar that my my friend Dave Reimer is a he's a great bass player singer and he's also a luthier. He builds his own guitars and sells them and all that sort of stuff. He had a friend of ours. Now we all know this guy, um, Chris Trigg who lived in Victoria. Dave lives over on the mainland in Vancouver. Chris and Chris and Dave were good friends. Dave had a line. Somehow, Rodney was selling that Gibson guitar. Hmm. And Dave bought it. And Chris said, oh, I've got to have that guitar. It's got mojo. I mean, I'm, I'm, he's, he was a huge Rodney Carl fan, right? Just like, I've got to have that guitar. It's, it's got, you know, it's, it's going to inspire me. So Dave arranged it, and and I actually had the guitar because I lived in Victoria at the time, and I was just dating my wife in Victoria, and so I brought it over to him uh, from Vancouver for him to so he would have that guitar. Anyway, uh, sadly, Chris died of cancer uh, mm. a little while later, and now it's gone back to Dave. So Dave has that Gibson guitar, and it was Rodney's guitar. There's actually videos of him playing that thing, and apparently, if the story, maybe you know this, I don't know. There's a story of that he dug that guitar out of like a flower pot or something or somebody. It was like it was just this. It was this guitar that somebody had let go to waste, and he actually took it and re and made it sing again. You know, I don't know if you know anything about that story, but I don't. But I'll ask him about it. I mean, it doesn't surprise me he dug it out of a flower pot or something. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that guitar, my one of my best friends has his guitar now, which is really that's a talk about six degrees of separation, huh? I wonder, is it a double O Gibson type guitar? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll get a picture of it and I'll send it to you via email so you can see it. That, that, that'd be great. There's yeah. a there's a crazy story about Rodney. He had um, Johnny Cash's Martin that Johnny gave him. And he was uh, flying to Hawaii with Roseanne Cash, who was his wife at the time. And, you know, he checked it in at the sidewalk and never saw it again. Someone oh, no. stole it. And it was like a herringbone 1946. Uh, like an, it would be worth 80 grand or something now. Yeah. Uh, that I was ashamed that I only knew about you in October because last year we were going by and saw this billboard, my wife and I, and I, and I saw Tommy Manuel was coming mm-hmm. to Victoria. And I went, I've got to go see that guy. Now, now for years, probably about three years, I always thought he was American for some reason. I didn't realize he was Australian. Until yeah. one day I heard him talk about, wow, you know, because he's a gifted player. And so I said, we've got to go see him. Well, then I find out after I found out about you that you were on that tour with him. That ended up being canceled because of COVID. But you were yeah. supposed to play up here. 
yeah, I have a, I still have my flight credits. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, we, we, we had, um, you know, probably six or eight Canadian shows booked where, you know, I, I opened for Tommy and play a 35, 40 minute set and then he'll do his show and we'll play together at the end. It's, it's just a blast. Whenever I get to be around Tommy, he's just, he's got so much energy and he's so inspiring and talk about having a guitar in your hand all day. He's always practicing. He's just, he's, he's really the, the benchmark of, of, uh, of, yeah, of um, a, a committed musician to me. So I, I'm really looking forward to when we can come back and, and play there. So you guys are like kindred spirits, obviously. Yeah. When I first heard him play and just felt the power of his guitar coming through the PA system, I just was like, okay, this is the game changer. I got to figure out how to do that. I've never heard anyone do that. And I've been listening to all these great guys on VHS tapes. Right. <laughs> I just, I knew there was something special about him. And of course, uh, you know, over the last, especially the last 15 years, I, I would say, you know, he's really take, taken the world by storm and, and we've played together in some incredible places. We toured in Europe together and, I always love this story of we played this concert hall in Germany and it was 2000 people or so it was a big room and, and he just gave it all the energy he could. And anyone who's seen him will see him do a drum solo on the guitar and just, you know, pull out all the stops. And he did the Elvis getaway where he got straight in the sprinter van back to the hotel, you know, before the applause finished basically. Right. And, and I stayed and packed up my equipment and everything. And I went back to the hotel and I'm coming up the elevator and I'm staying on the same floor as him, and I hear his metronome. Wow! Picking away, and he's in there practicing after a gig to that many people. You know, at midnight after midnight. So, uh, yeah, he's 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 just inspired me ever since I first heard him, and he continues to do so. And I have some shows tentatively scheduled later in the year with him, kind of throughout the Northeast, mm-hmm. and I think a few of the rescheduled Canadian dates. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to when that happens. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to see you guys. Um, do you practice with a metronome a lot? I do. Yeah, yeah. That's probably that's 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 something that's a lost art because I find myself getting bored with any sort of click track. So I have a tendency that I'll practice to a drum loop. Yeah, you know something that just if I, when I do practice, I'm really sorry that I'm one of those guys you'd like to slap. <laughs> well, we, we all go through phases and, and, you know, for me, this, this time of being at home is I've really been able to practice like I haven't in, in quite a while. And uh, yeah, practicing with a metronome, especially in playing fingerstyle guitar. It's really, that's really a big part of the challenge is trying to get all the notes to groove right. And to be able to, uh, yeah, just not speed up and not slow down and, and play with a good pocket and feel and, well, you certainly have all of that. Now, uh, can I talk about Lenny Bro a bit? Because one of the very, like Lenny Bro, even though he was from, I believe, northern United States, he moved to Winnipeg, Canada. And so Canada sort of thinks that Lenny Bro is, you know, Canadian. Right. Not, he isn't really, but you do those harmonics that the first time I ever heard of them was from Lenny Bro. And, but you're so much more fluid. I mean, money was incredible. <laughs> yeah, like can you can you throw some of those at us? Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, so I got a guitar here too. So, like you're doing a 12 fret thing, right? So you're 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 harmonic here. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm going to plug mine in just because I don't think I don't think connection is all that good. Here we go. Can you can you hear this? Yep. So, because you're doing so, you, are you doing this sort of thing where you're going, uh, you're plucking and hitting a harmonic, and yep. then your then your second finger is hitting the third string, correct? Exactly. Like that. Yep. But you're following. So, if this note is here and this finger is like four frets away, you're going. <laughs> that's 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 a hard thing to drop for me. Sorry, I got I'm in a bad position. So So I gotta grab it here, right? Exactly. And you just you're just so fluid at it, but like you say, it's practice, practice, practice. Oh yeah, that was a technique that I used to perform with a young guitarist named Brian Brown when I was a, a teenager and I was seventeen and he was fifteen. And he could play that technique so perfectly. And, uh, and I was always jealous. So eventually I figured it out, but yeah, I think it's, it's easier with a thumb pick. I think it's hard to get the, the articulation, uh, with the, without a thumb pick. Okay. But I just use a thumb pick and, and sometimes I'll go sixth string, third string, fifth string, second string. So there'll be a four string gap. And then sometimes there'll be third string, sixth string. Uh, sorry, fourth string, sixth string, third string, fifth string. So it'll be like a three-string gap. So there's a couple little patterns, and really, it's uh, it's just kind of a nice little embellishment to do. And there's certain chords that work really well, like a D minor nine, like that. And uh, yeah, Lenny Lenny really, you know, was such an incredible player on a seven string and on a nylon string. On yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was from another world because he sort of invented a lot of that stuff. Right. Yeah, and of course he came from a country background too. He was like a he was like a Chet. I remember hearing a story where he finally got to sit with Chet Atkins years later. He, he was and so Chet Atkins says, "Okay, let's see what you do." And he said, "Like what? What do you do?" He says, "Well, I play some of your stuff." And he said, "Okay, well, play me play me one of my songs then." So he played the song, and Chet goes, "Do that again." He played it. He goes, "How'd you do that?" And Lenny says, I just listened to your record. He says, yeah, but I was double tracking it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't know about double tracking, so he learned how to play both parts at once. Yeah. <laughs> he was like one of those guys, right? But you're doing that kind of stuff now. That's the thing is that, it, the, you know, the, there's a rung that happens and, a, and, a, and the next guy comes along. And now you're, you're probably 10 rungs up from that, those days when people didn't know anything about that kind of technique. I, I don't know. I think uh, I think Lenny was a really special player, and I don't think there's anybody been anybody quite like him. And I, or that, that story reminds me of when Tommy Emmanuel heard "Windy and Warm" on the radio, and Chet played it with a capo on the third fret, and Tommy uh -huh. didn't know what a capo was, so he figured out how to play it. Oh. Kind of with a bar chord like that, where Chet played it. Right. Which is substantially easier. <laughs> Much easier. Yeah. But, but yeah, these days, I mean, I was just thinking recently, it's amazing how much more content there is on YouTube about how to do just about anything. Yes. You know, compared to 10 years ago, if yes. I want to, you know, play a melodic minor scale over of different chords and I can watch 20 different videos of, 
you know, some incredible musician in, in Brazil and then some incredible musician in, in London. And I mean, there's people all over the world putting up, you know, instructional information on YouTube. So it, this is the age of being an autodidact on those things. It's, it's incredible. Hey, Joe, uh, quick question. So, I mean, obviously your technical skill has surpassed a lot of professional musicians and all, but where would you like to take your, your, your technical capabilities? Are there areas that you haven't gone into yet? There's things you want to try and focus on enhancing? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm really interested in just continuing to, to hone my sound and my style and, and my repertoire. And, and, and uh, I, I want to give the world great songs. <laughs> and uh and great great recordings so it's uh i think my technique has gone to a place where you know i'm always trying to get better and trying to get better time and better tone and better touch but in terms of playing faster or or trying to play you know like some percussion at the same time as what i do or spanning any of that you know for me it's more about trying to communicate something with the audience so I guess my practicing now has less focus on technique beyond maintaining technique and having fun playing. And I, I want to get better at playing, playing, playing jazz. I feel like that's a world we can explore and, and uh, it's just like a bottomless pool of, of information. There's there's, there's a whole bunch of players that really inspire me. Who who would you like to be playing with that's on your list? Who's on your, your, uh, your wish list? Oh, well, well, there's a lot of heroes um, from great drummers like Steve Gadd. I'd love to work with Steve Gadd. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to do a guitar duet with Jeff Beck. I'd love to play. <laughs> he played electric. That'd be pretty, pretty high up there. Um, I'd love to jam with Stevie Wonder. That'd be pretty incredible. There's there's no shortage of of, of wishes. You met Stevie Wonder. We have a picture of that. Where, where was that from? That was in Nashville. And my friend who's also in that picture with me, Blue Miller, who passed away a couple of years ago now, he was a great friend and mentor. And Blue wrote a lot of India Ari songs with her when she was first signed. And um, Blue took me to the show. And when we went backstage and chatted with Stevie for a while, and Stevie said when he heard Blue's music, he said, you're not white and you ain't black. He said, you're blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, 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 Stevie, he's another one. He's a pioneer on every level, you yeah. know, just one of those guys. All, all, every singer that's come along in the past 25 years owes their existence to Stevie Wonder. All, yeah. those, all those incredible licks that people are able to do now, he started it all. Yeah, Stevie, Stevie Wonder and before him, Ray Charles. Yeah. You know, yeah. I um, you know that that music to me just oozes joy. Yes, and I created this course a few years ago called Joe's Twelve, where I interviewed a lot of my mentors. I interviewed Keb Mo and Eric Johnson and Tommy, and and the thing that really stuck out as being something I didn't realize is how consciously a lot of these people think about bringing joy to people. Hmm. I. I think a lot about that. And when I do the live streams, I think all oh, these poor people in England, like can't leave their house and there's curfews, you know, in Canada. And, and uh, you know, I think music, music is just a really important thing in human connection. And even if it's, if it's on online, you know, when I'm sitting there play, playing for a camera, 
or I've been watching a stream of someone else, it feels like, it feels like they're right there. And, and uh, yeah, I think just bringing the joy is, is something that, that, that my favorite music does that for me, including Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and all the greats. But that's what I try to try to think about. Well, it's interesting to me because I'm talking to you now and there's very little difference from me talking to you and watching your live from home series could, because you're sitting in the same position. You know, the last thing I saw, you're sitting with that same microphone and everything's in the same position. And I'm going, this is amazing. It's like I've dropped in on one of your live from home sessions. That's all that's going on. You open up one of your songs with, with a thing that's it's harmonics on this, on the, like here. And like, what are you doing there? Yeah. Um, All that yeah. is is harmonics on the, yeah. on the seventh fret and twelfth fret, and I'm using the first finger to play the D and G strings on the seventh fret. Okay. Inky to play the B and E strings on the twelfth fret. Right. So here. Exactly. And then I'm just doing. I'm going uh, thumb, first finger, thumb, second finger. Yeah. I could use a metronome. <laughs> See, like I'm, I'm looking at your hands, your fingers, just look at the difference on the spread of your fingers and the spread of mine. It's everything I can do to get to that position. You could probably go, I think you could go seven frets with your stretch. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. I'm up and bigger than my right hand, actually, from, from playing. Oh, yeah, well, I, from my years of playing bass, I've got this going on. See, when I stretch my hand my left finger this baby finger goes way further yeah yeah your original music that the and you you've got a wonderful voice that's the thing you're a really good singer too like i really think like that that's the thing you're talking about and you're talking about bringing joy to people i mean it it that comes through on your live from home series so much the whole time it's like you're watching and i just it just seems like your happiness that you're giving out, you're getting back. And there's this reciprocal thing that's going on the entire time you're performing. Exactly. You know, whenever I play a show with Rodney or Tommy Emanuel and, you know, we play a lot of theaters and I, I'm always hustling at the merch table after the show. So as the last song finishes, I'm rushing to get to the, to the, to the lobby to be there ready to sign CDs and sell CDs. Right. And I love that energy of everyone just walking out going like, Oh my goodness, that was an incredible show. Everyone's smiling, everyone's happy and everyone has this energy. I mean, I, that's just a really part important part of, of, uh, of what I'm always going for when I'm, when I'm playing is just trying to make people feel like they saw something special. And, and for that reason, I'm always trying to be a little bit on the edge of, of whatever I'm doing, whether it's trying a new song or, you know, they say that's what makes a, a performer interesting to watch is if they could fall, fall and cr crash and burn at any moment. That's what, that's the wonderful thing about live. Yeah. Yeah. It's roaring. It's roaring honest. You're so unaffected and stable. Like, do you attribute that to coming from where you came from? 
Like you just seem like a very centered, down to earth. Like you have your you have your your blinders on where you want to go. You're you're wonderful, but you're a wonderful person that gets seem you seem to get along with everybody. I mean, you talk freely. Um, I I just find I find it that you seem unaffected by all that's happened to you, and you're not even thirty yet. Yeah, I'm turning thirty in in May. Well, I think it's partly it's temperamental. You know, my my dad's really you know as laid back as you can get, um, and. I, you know, I've always just loved music so much and wanted to be great. And, and I, I mean, I get really frustrated and beat myself up when I feel like I'm not fulfilling my potential, like, like anybody. And, and I get, you know, anxious and, and, uh, frustrated with it, but I, um, I really, you know, it's an, it's an interesting experience, kind of dedicating your life to music because if, if you don't practice and if you don't play from a pure place, then you can feel it and you can tell. And, uh, yeah, you're not fooling anybody. Yeah. I've, I've, my life really changed a few years ago when I, I started reading more and, uh, especially old books, philosophy and psychology and, you know, just really interesting people like Jung and Friedrich Nietzsche and Dostoevsky and, and, um, you know, people who had ideas way bigger than themselves. And through my mid twenties, which I think for, you know, for a young man is, is often a, a time of searching, you know, I kind of lost, lost his sense of, of who I was and what I was about for a while, but Lately, I've I feel like I've really found that, and music has brought that back to me, and and uh, yeah, I feel I feel centered and and really grateful, and I feel like I've worked through a lot of things psychologically. You don't seem like the type of guy who has a lot of vices. Uh, no, I um, you know, I mean, I remember being eleven, twelve years old and seeing people snorting cocaine and and you know going on three day benders, and you know I had musicians who I was kind of, you know, I was calling them saying, Hey, how do you play this scale? Or how do you do this? Or what, what is the record I should listen to? I've already listened to all these records you told me about. And I knew not to call them on a Monday or Tuesday because they were, you know, recovering from their alcoholism of, of a five day drinking bender. So I grew up around a lot of that. And my mom always said to me, you know, Joe, people think I'm crazy for letting you let me, letting you play in a band with someone on methadone, like Stevie Wright. Um, I played with Stevie Wright when I was a teenager from the Easy Beats, you know, a legend in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember he came to stay at our house and he had, you know, this pill, <laughs> this bag of pills across my, my desk where I do my homework. And he slept in my bed and I was like, <laughs> what's this girl? And we're at the breakfast table in the morning and he's just passed out. I mean... So, saw a lot of crazy things. And for that reason, my mum my always said to me, he said, now that you've seen the ugly side of rock and roll, you're not going to want to participate in it. And that, and that was true. You know, I, I mean, I had a lot of friends who grew up in uh, more, more, you know, conservative households and, and they weren't exposed to any of that. And so they couldn't wait to go out and smoke pot and get drunk. But, you know, for me, it was like, I, I saw how ugly that 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 could be. So I so I wasn't 
you know, I, I just try and build, build good habits. And uh, like so, some, some people say I'm a nerd. I keep a practice journal and I, um, you know, I see my job is, is you keep a practice journal. Let's go into that. So how, wh- what's in that journal? Like a daily thing that you're going to, this is what you're going to do on Tuesday. This is what you're going to do on Wednesday type of thing. Yeah, kind of it's, and it's always evolving, but right now is um, I put the time I wake up, I track my heart rate variability, which is a, a good indicator of how far you can push yourself or how tired you are. Well, wait, 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 let's go back a bit. You check your heart rate. Yeah. Heart rate variability. So I strap on a Bluetooth monitor in the morning and I, um, yeah, track my heart rate variability. It's something a lot of, you know, athletes, triathletes will do. And basically if my heart rate variability is low, meaning the recovery of the heart rate is, you know, not super quick, then that means I'm tired and I need more rest. And, you know, I ought to take it easy, but if it's high, which it usually is, if I get enough sleep and eat pretty well, then I can, then I know I'm going to play my best. I know it's a good day to record. It's a good day to stream. And, and, you know, that's just one Uh, thing that I do. That's incredible. That is all incredible. So, okay. So you, what, what's, what's your dietary thing? Are you, uh, like some people are vegan. We just talked to a guy who's a strict vegan. I mean, well, what's, what's your, I, I pretty much eat, uh, nothing from, from a, well, I eat whole foods. So I don't eat anything from any processed food pretty much. So I eat um, vegetables and not a lot of fruit. It's pretty low carbohydrate way of eating. Um, and I eat meat and I buy everything from local farms here. So I'm really a localist style style of that's my. Are, are you a dairy guy? Yeah, I, I eat dairy. I, I made my own yogurt. Um, you know, I put the culture in and my favorite way to do it is with raw milk, which is controversial, but I have a, a raw milk dealer here in Nashville and I'm, I culture my own yogurt. Um, and, uh, and I try to eat, you know, within a six or eight hour window and then I fast the rest of the day. So it's intermittent fasting, which has become a popular thing these days. Right. Um, but yeah, I eat, I eat, you know, eggs and, and a lot of, a lot of red meat, a lot of lamb and beef. What time is your live at home show taped Nashville time? It's 6 p.m. That's 6 p.m. And so, yeah. so by that time you've finished your feeding or eating feeding, you finished your eating for the day. Yeah. Yeah. I usually have dinner around four. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Around, uh, I was going to say 1400, I'm thinking of 20 hours, around between two and three, I have dinner and I have a breakfast around nine usually. So, yeah. So really a six hour window. That's what you eat. Interesting. Yeah. So you really do treat yourself as like an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I forget who told me that, but you know, if you want to play music on the highest level, I think, I think that's important. I mean, when I meet people who are like, you know, on drugs or like eating tons of sugar or drinking a lot, I'm just amazed that they can function. Cause whenever I do that, I, I think I have a sensitive system or something. Cause if I eat sugar or eat, drink beer or anything, I just feel like crap. So I, I, have, I have to say, I, I mean, um, your dedication to your craft is your entire life is all, all aspects of your life. It, and, but it shows, I mean, if people, as you alluded to earlier in the show, you know, everybody's good at something. Um, if they give themselves an opportunity to, to do their best at what they're best at, 
but they dedicate themselves to that. There's, there's really no stopping you. And you, and you, you're a great example. I think you're the only guest we've ever had on this show that's had this level of dedication, but across your life, um, but doing it in a way that's not burning yourself out. This is just what you enjoy to do. And you've decided to, to, to mold your life around uh, supporting that. And I think that's a very amazing example. Um, I mean, it, we, we call it a lesson from the trench. Like what are the things you can't learn uh, in a book or watching a video um, that really only comes from mentoring? Like yeah. this is the kind of stuff you learn from mentoring. Um, and, and did you pick up a lot of this stuff from some of your mentors? Or is this just something you've decided you want to do that works well for you? Yeah, I've, I've noticed a lot of creative people, you know, have, have good lifestyle habits, but a lot of them don't. I mean, I learned from a lot of people, okay, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be. Keith Richards guy. comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be that guy who's had five wives and like, you know, I don't want to be that, that guy who's, you know, addicted to this or that, or, you know, has emphysema because he's been smoking cigarettes all that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it makes me think of quotes like the unexamined life is not worth living from Socrates or, you know, there's this idea that meaning in life is found from being in the area of proximal development. And I've always felt, and I say this to, to people in in guitar masterclasses and whatnot, um, you're just always trying to be on the edge of your abilities. And so you're always just trying to push the envelope a little bit. And I'm always trying to refine my habits because people say, oh, you're so disciplined you're so rigid. And I'm like, actually, I feel like, you know, I spent half the day daydreaming and I <laughs> for a walk and I see a fretboard and I, I just, you know, it's a, it's a live a very creative life. And, um, and my, my fiance is, is a, uh, is an illustrator and, you know, she's a very creative life too. And she's, you know, I learn a lot from her. She's, she's got it dialed in, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just this idea that habits, you know, once you have a habit, it's just, you just do that. It doesn't require much discipline. So I've just found out what works for me with regard to food. And honestly, I, I had some health, health problems, uh, like autoimmune things. Like I'd be on tour in England and my, I'd have iritis in my right eye and my eye would go blood red and I'd have to, you know, it, it would be excruciatingly painful for six weeks and I'd have to take steroid drops. So I found that, you know, I cut out a lot of sugar and whatnot and that went away. So yeah, I've just there's, figured out. Can what I ask you a question, Joe? Of course. So there's another there's another piece to this. I love you talking about the book Talent is Overrated. And you were saying, you know, pretty much we all have it. It's just practice. And I don't know if you've read the book um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, because he had the same proposal that basically the Beatles were as good as they were because they got extra time to practice in Germany. Yeah. And Bill Gates got to be as good as he did because his mother rented him terminal time at, at the university. Um and I think you got a lot of incredible upbringing from your parents, modeling healthy behavior and truly supporting you. And I just, I so admire and love your healthy lifestyle and, and what you're doing. But there's a drive, there's a spark in you that I hope you see is, is fairly unique. Like for you to get up at 4 a.m., there ain't many teenagers on the planet that are willing to, or driven to get up that early and, and work on their craft. Where do you suppose that comes from? Where is that that spark that drives you? Well, honestly, uh, I think it comes from really from a lot of discontent of when I was younger. You know, I really had this feeling of like, 
I mean, people at school would say, oh, Joe lives up there in the bush in a cardboard box. <laughs> I would get so, I would get ribbed so much in high school and, and in elementary school. Like I was always the youngest kid. I was always the kid with the, you know, my, my mom would always iron my shirt and make sure I went to school, you know, looking all right. But it was always like hand-me-downs. It was like we were poor and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it wasn't always a pretty picture at, at home. Although, you know, in Adrid, it was really, it was really wonderful. And my parents spent a lot of time with us, which I think is important. You know, I mean, I'm really grateful for that. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of that drive comes from just, and it's also, you know, I have no backup plan. I left school when I was 15. So this wow. is, this is my whole world. And, and a, a lot of it is, you know, you got to, vi- I visualize what I want to do and what I want to be. And I really tie my identity up in that. And so that's, that's a big element of it. I think, you know, that there's, there's no backup plan and I love outliers and outliers really, um, yeah, emphasizes how important the environment is. And I really agree with that so much because there, there are kids that grow up without a, a stable household, without, you know, nourishing food. And, you know, that's just really, really tough. So I had, I had a great an environment, but there was enough discomfort. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, from a young age, it was like, Okay, Joe, it's breakfast time. Go out and split the wood. Okay. Simon, you're going to light the fire. Joe, you're going to split the wood. And I'll wheel in the firewood and then <laughs> go, get the, go get the eggs from the chickens. Okay, you lift the chickens up and get the eggs out. And, and it was just this kind of farm way of living that, you know, conditions you for to, to realize, you know, the work needed to do something. So those things had, had, a, had a, a lot to do with it, but... I just remember feeling like I got to get out of the bush. I got to get out of here and I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I had people in my extended family who said, Oh, there's so many people who want to play music. Like Joe's never going to make it. Like he needs to just, you know, be a mechanic or something. Um, and I was really determined to prove people wrong. So. And what do they say now? <laughs> These friends here. Well, it's funny because once I won that TV show, everyone thought I was this, you know, local celebrity. And I, I was, honestly shocked. I was like, you mean I was this kid playing in, you know, just begging the publican to let me play inside of a bar (laughs) (laughs) under 18. I'd have to play with my cord cable through the window. (laughs) And, and, you know, people would look at me like, what are you doing around here, kid? Just playing guitar all the time. Did you have the experience? I think a lot of people have had this experience where they're actually denying that, you know, it's like, Oh, give it up. And then when you get, when you actually make, something of yourself they they're, they're the first ones to go see i always knew you could do it <laughs> you know they, it's like they about face like crazy um you talked about uh well one thing is that i i think the way to say it is your plan b was go back to plan a because that's all you had yeah. um and, and me too i mean i never i don't even have my grade 10 it, it was always i was going to be a musician i knew that right from the time i was seven yeah, absolutely. You you know it. And uh, and the thing about learning an instrument, it's the same about, you know, learning to play chess or learning to play a sport at a high level. You know, once you know how to learn something, 
you can apply that to a lot of other things. So if, if I couldn't play one day for whatever reason, you know, I, I would find something else to channel all my energy into and I wouldn't have the hours that I have on the guitar to, to, to lean on, but I'd, I would figure something else out. I, I, I know that. So Walter Trout was just on our show and uh, I love Walter. I, I like, I think in an email I mentioned that I, I'd done the uh, jazz festival with him and we became really good friends, but his story. Now you talk about somebody who, you know, to the point of, you know, he finally gave up drinking because he got, uh, I guess, Carlos Santana came up to him in a bar one day. and said, what are you doing with this gift? You know, and he basically said, you know, with, with what you're doing with your gift, you're looking, you're looking up above and going like this to the man, you know? Yeah. And, and he said, this is a book. And he gave him a book. It was like, he said it was, um, um, it was Robert Schuller's uh, book, Robert Schuller book. And yeah, and he said, of course, Robert Schuller has a lot of philosophical things, not just biblical sort of quotes. And he said, read this book and come and talk to me. And he did that. And he, and so he swore off alcohol, but lo and behold, I mean, it was like quite a few years later, I think about 13 years later where he ended up with sclerosis of the liver, even though he had quit doing all the bad things he was doing. Um, and he ended up having a liver, liver transplant. You talked about watching him play, and he puts on a hell of a show. That then there's a guy that's glad for each minute he's alive right now. Yeah, uh, it was really inspiring being around him because you know he, on stage he's loud and he's high energy and just, I mean, the passion just oozes from him. And you and you think, okay, I wonder if he's a nice guy off stage. He could not have been friendlier we we played together at a festival in in colorado uh it was a couple years ago now and uh and and, and yeah a man really uh, uh you can tell that he's he's great he was so grateful to be there i mean a lot of people will complain they'll be like oh this place is you know ten thousand feet altitude and it's the air's dry and you know we've got, we've got to walk all the way from from this you know cabin where we're staying into the stage and you got a on your guitar he was so grateful, so nice. My my mom was actually with me at that festival, and and we we got chatting with him, and he reminded me of a lot of people I grew up with in Australia because, you know, there's a lot of just weathered souls who've who've done it all and seen it all, and uh, and um, yeah, not 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 everyone get, comes out the other side, but but it's uh, inspiring to me that he that he, yeah, he's, was was such a nice man. Your, your mom is an important figure in your life. Your dad as well, but it seems like your mom has been there for a lot of your pivotal points of your life. Yeah, my, my parents' arrangement early on was dad will do all the sport things with us and my mom will do all the music things. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and so, because my, my mom is, you know, she's the social person. She loves being around people and she loved being at gigs. And, and my dad, you know, is, is you know, he loves being on the on the land and yeah he's more of a homebody and yeah. uh yeah he he was the coach of our soccer team at, at one point when, when i was a kid so he was really involved and 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 my dad is just a rock solid person in the lives of everyone in my family but my mom you know really we, we spent a lot of time you know having cars break down on the on the side of the highway in australia and you know her sitting there while I was busking for hours. And I mean, she, she really went. went so literally you'd raise money to fix your car. Well, pretty, pretty much. Wow. It's funny because I remember my first car, 
uh, I got before I had a license and it was, it, I was paid for doing a gig with that car. It was a 1985 Mercedes 230 TE. Actually used to belong to Phil Emanuel and uh, wow. promoter for this gig, sold it to Phil. And then I guess Phil sold it back to him and he was like, Joe, you need a good car. Here's, here's a car for you. Your mom and you can drive around this and you got to play at, you know, this, this party, you know, with this band for me. And I was like, Oh sure. Okay. So wow. we drove that car and, and then it broke down on the road at one point and, you know, Mercedes are expensive to fix. So yes, that, uh, that car, um, yeah, got, got us th- through a while. And I remember going to this music festival in, um, in Tamworth actually, and I was probably 15 or 16 and, you know, my mum and I were driving along. We had a 1975 Toyota Land Cruiser troop carrier. Right. And, uh, you know, we broke down and had to sleep in the back. And, uh, and I think, I think dad came, it was probably a three hour drive. I think he came and fixed it. But, um, yeah, all those, all those kind of things. Um, um, my best friend, this is just on a side note. My best friend actually played uh, with Jimmy Barnes for 10 years over in Australia. Yeah, and then and that's Barnes is another one of those people that he's relatively unheard of in North America, and yet probably one of the greatest rock singers of all time. Oh yeah, and I mean, you asked who's the iconic band in Australia, and people will think it's ACDC, but it's it's Cold Chisel. Chisel, yeah, yeah, Cold Chisel's the band. Yeah, everybody loves that band, and Barnes is like he's he's the guy. Yeah, and Jeff Jeff co-wrote a few of a, a few albums with him over these ten years, uh, but Jeff Jeff now plays in a, a one of Canada's biggest bands. They're called Streetheart. Once again, a band that's never made it outside of Canada. But you're engaged. So how'd you meet her, and and what's it like for a girl like that with a guy who's so dedicated that he gets up at five thirty in the morning to practice? You moved it an hour and a half for her, I guess. Yeah, a little, little bit. Um, she's Canadian, actually. She's in in Quebec. Oh, and, uh, and we met at um, the Bid Music Festival in Quebec, Festival Dieti, which is the Quebec City Summer Festival. I'm sure you. you know. I, I've actually never played that one. I've played the jazz festival there, but right, um, the Montreal Jazz Festival. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was booked on this one year. I actually, Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's. Boy, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've toured with Lucas. He's a great guy. He yeah. was he was supposed to do the deed, but he canceled for some reason. And so my booking agent, I was with the same booking agency, and they said, "Okay, Joe, you want to do this deed?" And I was like, "Sure." And so I flew up there with my trio, and um, I met her. And she was nineteen at the time, and I was twenty four or twenty three, and uh, and she was the art director for the festival. So this is a big festival. It's, it's the, it was the biggest stage in North America. And um, at that year, and uh, and she's doing all the artwork and everything for us. So she's really brilliant. And uh, and I met her there, and she gave me a business card. And um, and she's an artist. She does portraits that look lifelike, and uh, is really incredible. And so we just kept in touch and and be- became, you know, good friends online. And then uh, she came down to Nashville and did an album cover. You know, did the artwork for an album cover with me and. Who made the first move? Um, well, I guess she, I guess she did because because she was like, I want to come to Nashville, and 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 she kind of, you know, I I was originally thinking, oh, this girl, she's only nineteen or twenty, you know, I, I, you know, I'd be careful, but um, we we became really close, and 
and eventually I, I went up there and, uh, and, and we started, started dating and, and, you know, because she works from home, you know, works remotely, um, she, she could come on tour with me and, and keep working on the road. And so we've been together now for five years or so, and, uh, we're engaged and because the border's closed to the Canada and the U S um, it's difficult for me to go up and see her cause she's still there, but we have a visa for her to move to the U S that's, that was just the first part of it was approved. So we're hopefully in the next few months, she'll be able to come down here. And she, and like you say, her, her, her work goes with her. So she's, it's not like her work is going to fall apart. She'll be able to take it with her, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And her, her, her father, you know, is, is around a lot, a lot of music. He has a recording studio. And so she, she knows she's been in the music world enough to know, you know, what, what that life is like, but, but that's not what she does for a living, which I think is, is, you know, I think I would find it difficult to be in a relationship with like a senior, for example, although that works for a lot of people, but, uh, but yeah, it's a really nice rapport and she, she really supports me and, and she's, she's way, way more disciplined and, and strict. Uh, your, your hat. I rarely see you without it. Tell me about your hat. Yeah, this is, uh, it's got a kangaroo on it. Yes. I used to wear a wide-brimmed hat, but people kept saying uh, I looked Amish, or they. That's about it. So I started wearing my 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 kangaroo hat, and uh, it stuck. Pe- pe- people like it. People ask me they want to buy one. Yeah, where did you where did you get it from? Is it just is it is there a special meaning to it? Or yeah, the the, the hat company is actually from Australia, and they make hats with all kinds of different images on it. But it's, it's actually kind of kind of nice on the Facebook Live because they see they think what's that hat and they say that's oh, a kangaroo and then they listen to me and they're like oh he, oh he's from Australia oh, that's- yeah. <laughs> yeah I know it's it's your homage to home you know between the kangaroo and your and your guitar and yeah Spe- speaking of home and being that you're in Nashville and that do you have you ever had a chance to hook up with Keith Urban a fellow Oz and do any work with him yeah we haven't worked together we've met a handful of times around town. And, you know, he's a, he's a great guy and has a reputation around town as just being a, you know, a really, really nice person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was a, obviously a, uh, a judge on America's Got Talent too. Yeah. Well, Jeff, my friend, I was talking about who worked with Jimmy Barnes. He was talking about, uh, I guess before Keith Urban really broke big time over here, he was already big in Australia. And so I guess it, Jeff and Jimmy Barnes and Keith Urban were working on a song. At, at, at Jimmy Barnes' house one day, they were doing a songwriting thing. And he said he's never seen so much service from all the females in the house. Oh, can we get you cookies? Oh, can we get you this? Oh, can we get you that? Because they all wanted to come down and see Keith Urban, right? <laughs> I talked to some um, some people who were working on, I, I forget which film, it was an Australian-oriented film with Nicole Kidman in it. And they said um, they were on set and you know, it was Nicole's birthday or something. And they said, Oh, this guy came and he sang pretty good. And you know, he just played like a full set for 30 minutes or something. And, and it was actually Keith. And that didn't wow. Yeah. He's certainly gone on to great things. And they seem to like a really good couple. Those two, they really do. They seem like they really have a, a kindred spirit somehow. They are really supportive of each other. Yeah. yeah and Keith inspired so, so many Aussies to, to come over here. You know, I mean, he's, he's just done, done so well. And, and, uh, and I mean, he's a great 
player and songwriter and and he was mentored by Tommy and and they're they're very close. And yeah, the first the first band of note that I that I picked up on, like there was there was singers from Australia, but the first band of note was the Little River Band. Yeah. That was the band that sort of made a big foray. That was that was pre ACDC, and um, ironically, I remember or not not ironically, but more um, incidentally, I was uh, ta- May Pang who. I don't know if you know much about John Lennon, but May Pang spent time with John Lennon. Apparently, reminiscing by the Little River Band was his favorite song uh, in years up before he died. And he was he was just he loved that song. And he was so happy that an Australian band had finally made it in North America because he just he loved Australia. That's really cool. I I didn't know. I didn't know John liked Australia that much. That's that's very cool. Yeah, he was. He thought it was just great that uh, this Australian band had come, and of course the harmonies in that song—they they were a fantastic they, band. They had great songs, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we let you go, when is your record drop? Well, I'm not sure yet. We uh, we still have to figure out the the plan for for the release, but uh, pe- but people can find out more about me, you know, on my my YouTube channel. Just search Joe Robinson, and uh, on on Facebook, and I go live each week, and I also have some educational materials with true fire for any guitar players out there. And uh, my course, joes12.com is also somewhere that they can go and check that out. We'll supply awesome. all those links to this uh, under this uh, interview. All the links will be there. So really. Yeah. Right. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. No that was pleasure. really special. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand.